Welcome to the Unblocking Crypto Podcast. This podcast is not financial advice. It's meant for entertainment purposes only. These are just the opinions of a couple of rambling wrecks. Welcome back to episode number 72 of Unblocking Crypto. As always, Hal joins me. Welcome, Hal. Hey, Jason. How you doing? Fantastic. And the crypto world doesn't have a week go by without some crazy big news happening in this last week another huge announcement that we'll maybe start out talking about is blackrock creating a spot etf or yeah this is like uh you know some weeks nothing really happens and some weeks you get something like this yeah so it's, it's pretty exciting just considering that blackrock was one of the most founders of the ETFs, like they have turned this into this is what most people do invest in with their um, their their income, right? So it's exciting to see. Have you spent too much time diving into some of the details? Yeah, I, the only thing I didn't do is read the actual filing, but yeah, I listened to a bunch of a uh, bunch of different ETF experts and read a lot because you know it's one of those things, you know, BlackRock they kind of share employees with the sec right like they become lobbyists for blackrock and then they work for the government and then you know there's just kind of this nepotism between these big these major players in the in the market and so it's always good to have like a little bit of a conspiracy theorist in you and so for this it's like all right why would blackrock file an etf now blackrock has filed 576 etfs they have 575 approvals they're pretty good about knowing when to do this, right? They don't typically waste their time. And so GBTC is in their current suit with the SEC trying to convert the GBTC closed ended fund into an ETF. The thing about ETFs is the first mover has a huge advantage because all the money that's waiting to go into that, that whatever the underlying market is, that first ETF opens and then the money flows in. And then the second ETF doesn't get as much money flowing in as the first. And so I think it's not unfair to believe that BlackRock believes that the GBTC fund will get converted into an ETF. And rather than be behind by weeks or months, they want to be behind a day or you know as close as possible to when that ETF turns. Because GBTC and, and, and is not like your historic ETF trusted name, right? They're they're kind of a they're kind of a crypto company playing in traditional funds or in a, in a small player in that. And so BlackRock and iShares is like a monster. And so I think their philosophy would be if I were if I were BlackRock, my philosophy would be is like look. We need to be the first of the big guys in we'll get the majority of the funds. And then when when Vanguard or Fidelity come in behind us, we'll have already sucked up the funds that they would have if they beat us to the punch. And so with a little bit of insider information, because that's who they are, because they're BlackRock, I think you have to assume BlackRock's going to get approved. Right. That they don't they have you have to assume that there's a reason that they filed now and not months ago or months from now. So I think <clears throat> if you're gonna place a wager, which you can actually place a wager, I think you you should probably bet on BlackRock getting approved. So I did 
So that is good for everything. It's good for everything. Bitcoin from a price standpoint, money flowing into into Bitcoin, money flowing into an ETF means they have to buy the underlying commodity. Like it's not like GBTC where they basically bought a bunch of Bitcoin, put it in a fund, sell shares, and then if people want to buy, then they might be selling at a premium, and if people don't want to buy, maybe they're selling at a discount, and they can't really adjust the amount of Bitcoin they hold in the fund. The ETF will be constantly, I think, daily uh adjusting their holdings to match their market cap so they'll constantly be buying and selling bitcoin initially they would be constantly buying right gbtc bought a whatever it was half a million bitcoin as part of that price escalation in 2020 and 2021 so i think we can see the same thing there probably on a larger scale and uh, i think that's good for price escalation of bitcoin I think if you're the Bitcoin purist uh, pulling for the little guy, you know, ever you know, you want the the smaller retail player, you know, small uh, small business and small country and and you know, the developing country guys to get into Bitcoin before the big players get in and the price goes up. This is not good for you, right? Um, the price is going to go up. It's going to it's going to make it more expensive for smaller players to acquire greater amounts of Bitcoin for people that are already in Bitcoin and are just looking at it as a store of value, you know, investment type of thing. It's, it's, it's really good for you. But I think you've got to assume not only does BlackRock get approved, I bet they, I bet they don't have to wait like the full, I think it's like 90 days and then 90 days and then 60 days that the SEC can kind of drag their feet on these things. I would think that BlackRock's going to get approved. I would think that the GBTC is going to get converted to an ETF. And I would assume that the Fidelity spot Bitcoin ETF that they filed like the day after or or shortly after the BlackRock ETF, I think that one gets approved. And so, yeah, man, once that money starts flowing in, I think you, you start to you start to see Bitcoin take off again and do a, another thing. It would be interesting to see how the timing works out because we're about a year from a halvening. And so if you have like a pre-halvening pump and then the issuance drops by half, so you have less free Bitcoin available for sale while the new ETF is buying Bitcoin and when while companies are, are piling in, I think you could see it like a huge short-term price escalation, which creates that mania that creates more price escalation. Uh, you know, as, as people like see it going up, they start buying in. So it could be like, could be super interesting. I mean, yeah, there, you could, you could, uh, you could see uh, the SEC not approve them. I mean, that's possible, but you got to think that BlackRock knows more than I do about these things. And so, uh, so yeah, I think, uh, this is kind of the institutional adoption piece that that we've kind of talked about for years that we thought would have happened two years ago, but it makes it a lot easier for institutions to get into Bitcoin when they can buy an ETF because they don't have to go through all the hurdles of buying, um, you know, the kind of this weirdo asset that isn't well regulated or defined and it kind of exceeds, it, it makes, it blurs the line of fiduciary. Like, is this a safe thing to buy? Um, Whereas if you buy an ETF, you know, I don't think you can get your head chopped off um, if price goes down. Well, so there's a couple of interesting storylines along that, right? I mean, BlackRock 
they have almost ten trillion dollars in assets. So even if they just get some of their own assets converted over into the Bitcoin ETF, that's a huge number because the market cap for Bitcoin is not even a trillion dollars anymore, right? I mean, it's or it's right around that. Between four and five hundred billion, kind of bouncing around in there. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, that that's if you had any small portion of BlackRock's BlackRock's assets go into that Bitcoin ETF, that's huge. The other interesting piece is if you pay attention to what Larry Fink has said in the past five years is in what in 2018, pretty much he was saying nobody was interested in crypto from a BlackRock perspective. None of his customers oh, yeah. were talking about it. And fast forward to maybe a year ago, he's now talking about that the world is tur turning into a tokenization of all assets. And so they see a huge future in the blockchain and, and crypto in general. So they're now all of a sudden making a big bet. And then the other interesting piece of all this is they chose Coinbase as their custody solution. So, right. which is kind of crazy considering the SEC just went after Coinbase saying that they're an unregistered broker. Yet BlackRock doesn't make dumb decisions. Like you said, they're 575 and one on this. They know something about Coinbase that apparently nobody else does and they're safe saying coinbase is the one we're going with which should give people in crypto a lot of more faith that uh, the sec might not have a leg to stand on with a lot of what's they're doing here to the market in general yeah and and so you mentioned kind of the funds flowing into into bitcoin via blackrock of you know this huge institution 10 trillion dollars on assets under management even if none of their current assets are are going to be reallocated into the, a Bitcoin ETF, so many, so much money is waiting for this, right? Like, but just take like a normal like sm private small business that has funds, and I mean, stock market's really weird right now. You know, bonds, yeah, you can get five percent, but like, there's so many small businesses that that would just be like, yeah, okay, I'll throw. I'll throw a half a percent of my reserves into into Bitcoin because I've got nothing else to buy but bonds. I know I'm getting five percent. There's no, I have zero speculative assets here. Like I'm not buying any more stocks. Like whatever I've got, I've got. And so I think there's kind of a venturi effect where some of this money is going to flow in, and that's going to draw more money in. And so I, I like uh, this from a price standpoint. I think that that that's hugely bullish everybody's buying the most boring crap right now. I mean, my most, my most aggressive entrepreneurial friends that are like constantly starting businesses, constantly taking risks, constantly raising funds and like, ah, we're going to back out of the, like I'm asking, I talked, I had a coffee with one of them last week and he's like, yeah, I'm buying, um, I'm buying bonds every month and just rolling them over. I'm like, this is so boring. It's just because, like, you know, he's he's selling real estate and buying bonds. It's like, you know, that this is um, so to give those those dollars a chance at buying something that's going up, and especially something that you can you can front run uh, the whole thing, right? Because you you got it, you got months of a heads up um, on the BlackRock piece. GBTC is still selling at a discount, thirty six percent discount, I think, uh, as of like yesterday, the day before, when I was looking at it. So if you think BlackRock's right, 
it's not a far leap to say that GBTC is going to convert it to an ETF, which would eliminate that discount. You can make 36. If you think BlackRock's right, you can make 36% without the Bitcoin price going up. That's, that's a pretty good, uh, that's a pretty good move. And you know, worst case that doesn't happen. And then you own some GBTC. If you think Bitcoin's going up, that's still not a bad place to be. Well, the other crazy thing about Bitcoin is I think it's now over 70% of all Bitcoin has not moved for a year. So there are a ton of people that hold Bitcoin that are very much big believers. And there's not a lot of Bitcoin out there for anybody else to, to kind of buy and trade. So for somebody like a BlackRock to come out and say, we want a lot more of this to, to have enough for this spot ETF, that's really going to change the market fairly quickly. And like to your point, the small guys are going to be having a much more difficult time to get in. And this really opens the door for institutional money, especially since the SEC kind of forced banks to step away from crypto. Yeah. And the thing about institutional money, um, you know, once once an institution makes the decision, hey, we want to whatever, $500 million worth of Bitcoin, they're buying Bitcoin on a some schedule that they set. It, it, they aren't ah oh, well if the bitcoin hits yeah this price we'll buy some and we'll buy a little it's not a retail mentality right it's we want this allocation go get it and so if like you said there's a ton of illiquid supply just bitcoin that's not for sale at this price or at a price up to 50 60 grand the price is going to go up to 50 60 grand really quickly as you burn through the the liquid supply that's available at these lower prices and then who then you get into like price discovery which is like the most fun part of bitcoin right when bitcoin is at a price that it's never been before that's the most fun thing to watch because who you don't know who's willing to sell at 75,000 right you don't know if it's uh, you know 1 100th of 1% of of bitcoin holders will sell there or if it's 1% right so you don't know how long it's going to stick around there so bitcoin shoots through these price ranges when you go into these rare air elements and you know there's a ton of people that were, were expecting 100 to 150 thousand dollar bitcoin in this last run-up and they didn't get to sell it at 100 to 150 thousand dollars well if they're if the majority of them are are with it enough to understand that a hundred thousand dollars in 2020 is you know 125 thousand 130 thousand dollars now you know they're not willing to sell it at a hundred thousand anymore but they shouldn't be they should be, you know, that price should be escalated up to 125, And, and then, okay, well now I know BlackRock wants to get in. So maybe I put a little premium on my Bitcoin there. And so, you know, people that, that were kind of holding on to sell it and then like, okay, well crap, I'm not going to, I'm not going to sell it at 25. I was hoping to sell it at a hundred. Like I'll just, I'll just sit on it. This isn't money I need to go, you know, to, to, to buy groceries and stuff. So this, you know, this is the kind of the exciting thing about being on a, in an innovative first of a kind thing is like, man, what is, what does this mean? Right. It could mean that BlackRock's wrong and they go 250, uh, 275 and two, or you can make a little wager and, and buy some Bitcoin or buy some GBTC that says, eh, maybe BlackRock's going to get this thing. And then Bitcoin's going to shoot up and, um, GBTC is going to be converted to an ETF. So I think, uh, I think, so we're in the summer of 2023. I still think we have several months before that GPTC, um, SEC, I think there's a judgment coming in the fall. This ETF would probably be approved first quarter based on what some of these like Bloomberg ETF people think. 
And so like you're talking about in the say fourth quarter this year, you get the first Bitcoin spot ETF as GPTC converts. Three months later, you get BlackRock. Shortly thereafter, people start piling in like, you know, uh, these other uh, investment houses, they'll put in for Bitcoin ETFs. And then April is the happening. So you think third quarter, second quarter, third quarter, you get that ramp up that you usually get after happening. But you could have, you know, like the Chinese mining ban kind of disrupted the previous cycle where usually it shoots straight up and, you know, kind of tops out and then crashes. We had that kind of weird double top. Like this could be the thing that gives you like a ramp up before the ramp up after the happening. So, you know, or it couldn't, or it might not, who knows? Yeah. So what's interesting is Bitcoin has always been compared to gold, right? If you look at the, when gold first got their first ETF, the gold price 10 X over the next uh, little while from there. Right. So that would be yeah, amazing. Never came, so, never came back down to that price either. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And then even some of the small things like Celsius, they went bankrupt, but they just came out and said they are going to be selling all their altcoins into Bitcoin and Ethereum. So creating even more of a demand for Bitcoin and Ethereum, forcing less and less of the supply to be liquid, uh, at least from a Bitcoin and Ethereum perspective. So, I mean, you're, you're turning into this kind of perfect storm where everybody's holding and nobody wants to sell it or what a couple hundred thousand dollars at this point right so it's it could move very quickly here in the next year or two and then at what point it will it, we know it's going to retrace right i mean it's one of the few things that's not truly controlled like stock markets in general so the question is where does it retrace to and can you make sure you take some profit on the way up <laughs> and even on the way down <laughs> yeah i mean like when when things go up it's like it's it's really really hard to do um but normally things ramp up they hit a peak they drop down and then there's a little uh, like a second small peak and that's when you're supposed to sell like after you know what the peak was but identifying that while it's happening it's so easy to look back and see when it happened it's so hard to know that you're in it when it's happening so yeah i think you know like for me, I I overbought Bitcoin in this last run up thinking, all right, I want this much for like super long term, you know, whatever, man. Some of my Bitcoin are like in my kids, you know, they're not even mine to sell. Right. Like I'm they're going to be handed over to my kids when they turn 18 or my son, maybe when he's 30. And so like those are just like locked up for sure. So I was like, you know, I'll buy a, couple, a little bit extra and then. um if uh, if we do get a run, I got an opportunity to kind of turn into U.S. dollars and then, you know, kind of uh, help run the, the the family finances a little easier. But I didn't I sold zero of those. Uh, they didn't it, it never hit my price point. So it, it never did. So, like, I've got some that, that I'd be willing to sell. But like I said, you know, I kind of had an idea of of selling on the way up like at different, you know, as you hit different prices, I, I kind of limp into my sale position and i'm just everything's just creeping up because if it was worth sixty thousand um in two years ago then it's worth eighty thousand now just because the dollar keeps dropping um so i think as long as most people are thinking the same way uh that'd be curious but on the flip side of that if we hit this recession that seems to not ever get here but if we do and people need to cash out then maybe you would see some 
some of that illiquid supply become liquid as people need U.S. dollars to to operate. So it'll be, uh, it, you know, uh, Bitcoin's always interesting. Uh, so this will be something to watch. You know, we got, man. So, yeah, we're uh, we're 10 months away from the happening. And like almost every month from now on, there's a big thing to, to look out for. Yeah. So super exciting news. The other thing that's really interesting, and we've kind of talked about China's almost change in attitude on crypto. Hong Kong had some recent news where they are starting to encourage banks in Hong Kong to get involved with some of the crypto exchanges and saying that they need to kind of jump on board. So that's kind of a, a big deal, in my opinion. I mean, they're specifically saying uh, virtual asset service companies, right? So that's pretty much exchanges. And they want the banks to help these guys get connected to the overall financial services uh, space. So it's how quickly will that happen? I have no idea. But when you have an entire country like that or whatever Hong Kong officially is pushing for that, then that's exciting to see. I mean, and if you look at it, Hong Kong is one of the few that's kind of pushing to be one of this crypto epicenters, right? I mean, you have uh, EU, UAE, Dubai, Brazil, even Singapore that are kind of fighting for that. Here, we want to be that. You could argue maybe Miami is still <laughs> in the midst of Florida in Texas, general. Texas, right? but, yeah. In Texas, yeah. But there's a lot of other countries in general that are doing well. Uh, Texas and Florida have the SEC they still have to deal with. <laughs> yep. Uh, yeah, man. I think um, seeing people, seeing this kind of wavering thing that China has been doing, you know, they they ban things and then it's kind of like a fake ban. or they. It, it, so this this waffling back and forth, you know, it, it usually flips back to allowing people to 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 buy Bitcoin. It kind of to me it, it it harkens to the fact that you just can't stop it. Like if you're a government and you're you're watching this happen, like okay, we we tried to ban mining. Now we're at all time high hash rates, and all of the miners just got shipped out and they went somewhere else. Like. When you're a country, you don't want industries going somewhere else. So for me, I, I think it's kind of a it's a good thing to watch countries try stuff. I mean, I, you know, the United States is like a, a sandbox that with 50 different compartments. They can play and try different things. And we're kind of seeing that globally. You know, El Salvador is doing their thing, very pro Bitcoin across the board. It seems to be working out. You know, I mean, their money's flowing in, tourism's getting better, crime's going down tax dollars are going up, um, you know, in, in us dollars and not even in Bitcoin. So I think, um, when what China can, can pass that and see that and see where it goes. So even with the United States and kind of what they're doing and not doing, you can see that it's, you know, what the mistakes are and what, how dragging your feet sucks, uh, and, and drives country drives companies away from your, your country and into other countries. So I think if you do that enough, I think you realize your mistakes and flip. And so like, this is China's 15th flip, I think. Yeah. And speaking of the U S or some other good news that involves the sec, when sec went after Coinbase, they also went after Binance mm -hmm. and they were, they requested to freeze Binance.us's assets. And that officially just got denied by the courts. So Binance.us will continue to operate 
with their assets over in the US, um, which is kind of a big deal saying that the SEC once again gets denied on what they're asking for, what they think makes sense. Now, I think the SEC's, I think the, the, the judicial system is kind of going to force the SEC to come up with some kind of regulation. Like the SEC doesn't want to. It's obviously they're trying not to. But I, I think they're going to have to actually do something. And, you know, as a Bitcoin guy, that's fine with me because it, 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 they would have to totally flip their ideas on Bitcoin versus all the altcoin, you know, unregistered security stuff. Um, and it, I don't know how they could define Bitcoin as an unregistered security. Like they can't call this the founders into um, into committee to, to talk about it. So so for me, like, that's fine. And then and maybe it'll clean up some of this crypto, you know, scam stuff and like the Luna crap and Ponzi scheme stuff. You know, maybe that'll that'll go away or start to. And then it sounds like it sounds like Ethereum sliding more and more towards a commodity definition, uh, yeah. which I don't think is logical, but I don't really care. It, I think it's just, you know, it, it, it's the kind of the first mover stuff, like with the ETFs. It's like, yeah, okay, well, Ethereum's just big enough to where uh, they'll just kind of make it work, whereas all these other guys are small enough to where they can squash them. You know, it's it's uh, like the NCAA type of uh, type of ruling where it's you know, once once there's enough money going on and there's enough tax dollars generated from it, they're like figure out a way to keep it alive. Yeah, there is also some interesting news. I know we talked for the past couple of weeks about these Hinman documents coming out for XRP and Ripple. And Brad Garlinghouse, the CEO of Ripple, actually released a video, which I don't think he does very often at all, pretty much talking about how thankful he is for all the support over the past couple of years and how these Hinman docs have shown that the SEC is just trying to create confusion confusion in the industry and causing lots of problems and they're very optimistic with all of this moving forward and getting worked out and xrp getting back to business so that's exciting to see there's still no official word from the courts on that but it is a kind of a big deal for somebody like his level to come out and start talking more about uh something that's been going on for a couple of years yeah, I, I think uh, I think the XRP experience is is pretty funny because a few times Gary Gensler and SEC come out and say all you have to do is just come in and register, you know, fill out a few forms and um, and then you can operate as a registered security. And then you know all you have to do is be transparent and fill out your your quarterlies and da 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 da. da. And like, it's obviously not true because XRP has been in litigation with the SEC for like it, it's got to be close to three years, right? Yeah. And so it's like, yeah, okay, uh, it, you can tell me that it's easy to come in there and sign a few forms, but like, look, look what's going on. I mean, Ripple would do that. You know, Ripple, they're, they're trying to be a business that has a token uh, and that, that uses it to, uh, to transfer funds from bank to bank, right? Like that's their whole, that made it. They're trying to be a business. They're not trying to be just a, um, a decentralized token. They're trying to be a centralized token that's operated under a corporation. So um if they can't easily do it then these smaller cryptos with smaller groups of people and that are more uh that are more like computer science and less finance guys then yeah they're not going to do that so uh, so yeah the the ripple thing is a uh, uh it's it's definitely interesting to watch 
And I think it'll be telling because moving funds digitally using cryptocurrencies or Bitcoin is so much better than moving value across the internet using bank to bank to bank to bank, like Swift style uh, communications and, and transfers. And it's so cheap. So, yeah, I mean, you know, I guess the banks will be lobbying not to do it because they make they make a, a, a cut every time it gets transferred. Whereas not a lot of people make a cut when you transfer, um, you know, across a, a decentralized network. So, so it's actually a really good segue into one of the other things that I wanted to mention. Uh, you, you may have heard of David Marcus before. He was the former president of PayPal uh, and the head of Facebook pay payments. He recently has come out and said that he is going to dedicate the rest of his life on building with Bitcoin. He sees Bitcoin and what they're doing as pretty much the life changing for kind of what you were just talking about, moving payments around. Uh, and I mean, shoot, Jack Mallers has been talking about this for a while too, that it's almost like the Lightning Network in general is creating this public infrastructure to move payments around. And it's similar to a concept of having the internet and what the internet was able to do from an overall uh, level of or quality of life for people, right? And it's you could have like something similar to where there's this public infrastructure that allows payments to happen to anyone at any time for next to nothing. Yeah, I think that's I think that's the first thing that people should learn about Bitcoin when after they, you know, the thing that gets everybody in is the price, right? Like, oh, I'm going to buy it and then I'm going to turn it and sell it and uh, make more U.S. dollars and and that, like that gets pretty much everybody into it the first time. If they can understand that you can transfer value digitally, like you can't copy and paste it and you can't, you know, it's, it's, it's pretty indestructible from that standpoint. And yes, it's slow. It's supposed to be slow. It has to be slow in order to be safe. You know, it's like, it's built like a tank, not like a, you know, paper airplane. And so I think as soon as people start to understand that, that can lead them into all the other Bitcoin stuff. Um, but the, the value of being able to, to, send something from your phone to somebody else's phone that's actually worth something and not you know something that could be copied or doesn't require uh another company to to be in in between look once that clicks i think people understand that it's valuable and then the price you know it's not just about the price so uh, yeah i think this is yet another ceo founder type who has said i'm only going to work on bitcoin from now on so that's one of those things like, you know, Bitcoin's this Ponzi scheme that that traps the smartest people first. It's like, maybe it's not a Ponzi scheme if that's how it works. So, uh, so yeah, put another one on the list, right? Um, yeah, and it's not people that have zero history in that space, right? I mean, these with PayPal. with PayPal and Facebook payments. I mean, these guys had some of the largest customer bases out there, right? So they're seeing something that's different with Bitcoin than what PayPal and Facebook could ever do, which is really yep. interesting. And when you do it on Bitcoin is open source. So you don't have, you don't need the Facebook and the PayPal right. bureaucracy and approvals and all that. You can, I mean, for man with AI and instead of having paying a bunch of coders, 250 grand in San Francisco to do work, get some remote guys and some AI stuff going. If you're, if you're smart enough and you could, you could get some, you could do some damage building stuff on Bitcoin. Um, with the coded being automated. So, yeah, I think uh, this is kind of part of it, right? Like, let's see where it goes. Yeah. I know we've talked about 
Jack Dorsey and his company Block coming out with a self-custody wallet. So I think that wallet is officially going to be called BitKey as of right now. Who knows if it changes or not. But they had an interesting announcement here recently that they are about to start testing that wallet. And the two companies are going to test it with Coinbase and Cash App. So even though the SEC is going after Coinbase, you still have some of the most important companies in the world wanting to work with Coinbase, seeing that they are going to be one of the ones that is somewhat trusted in the future, whether you like it or not. Yeah, no, I think uh, Coinbase has that same kind of advantage. I mean, if, if, if the SEC is trying to look out for retail investors, the SEC allowed Coinbase to IPO three years ago. Yeah, for them to turn around and shut them down, uh, you know, and, and kind of wreck all these retail investors, you know, that's that's opposite of what they need to do. Uh, also, Coinbase, it, you know, they'll if if they can't do the earn stuff and the and the yield stuff because of unregistered securities, they'll drop it over over shutting down. You know, um, so I, I think uh, I think you'll see that, and and Coinbase has just so much history of managing huge amounts of money in cryptocurrencies that they've already learned a lot of lessons that companies that are starting up now, you know, haven't learned yet. And so I think, I mean, like, look at BlockFi. I mean, they, when BlockFi was operating normally, they used Fidelity as their custodian, like a solid traditional company that understands security. And then what happened uh, when they got into financial trouble and they got in with FTX, it was part of the loan from FTX. They re were required to uh, custody with FTX. And that's what brought everything down. And that's why everybody's assets are locked up. So if you go with Coinbase, they're a publicly traded company that everything, they're not an FTX. They, they've got to be transparent about it. They've got quarterly reporting. And so that's going to help help that, that custody be known what's going on, uh, you know, under the hood. And you don't get that with these crypto companies that are privately held. Like it's not, uh, it's not required. And you know, how honest do they have to be? Like, you know, Coinbase, the, there's, there's an understanding, there's a legal team, there's a regulatory team, and they got to keep between the lines. Even if the lines aren't defined well by the SEC, the, the Coinbase is operating in a way that is in line with their shareholders fiduciary in their shareholders fiduciary best interest. So I think if I were, if it were me and I had a billion dollars to, to custody um, and it was going to be in crypto or, or Bitcoin, yeah, Coinbase would be at the top of the list. Exactly. Well, I'm definitely interested to kind of test out BitKey when it comes out as soon as uh, I'm allowed to, and I'll probably be sure to add it to my crypto wallet little product. There's still a link in the the show notes, I think in the next 20 or so people still can get the 90% off on that. So um, expect yeah. to see an update on that here shortly. Yeah. And Jack Dorsey, it's kind of nice because Jack Dorsey isn't uh, some startup guy that's looking to make his first couple million dollars. And, you know, maybe he'll cut some corners on security and have, you know, this or that. Like, you know, Jack Dorsey, for if he is a bad actor in this industry, then uh, then nothing's safe, right? Like, I mean, he wears tie-dye shirts, like he doesn't spend money on razors, you know, like he, it doesn't seem like the guy who's interested in making an extra couple million dollars here and there at the expense of customers. And so, yeah, I, I, I'd be interested to see how it works. I think, uh, I mean, I've said, it, I've said it on here quite a few times that 
self-custody piece is a big hurdle. You know, everybody's used to trusting a third party with their money and, you know, whether it's Wells Fargo or, or, or whatever bank. So to go from that to taking a little bit of ownership and responsibility, that's kind of tough. So having them, having a third of your keys held by a, by a trusted third party, I think that would be attractive for a lot of new users, not your libertarian crypto guys that have been in it for 10 years. But, um, but I think in order to get adoption, that's what you need. You need that Netscape software, right. In order to, to get the internet from, you know, computer science guys into uh, high school students. Yeah, exactly. So a couple of other interesting announcements that I kind of came across the old Andreessen Horowitz, which is now a 16 zine. They made an announcement that they are expanding into London. And the reason being they see the UK as being one of the leaders in decentralization and providing regulation clarity. We talked about it earlier, the US seems to be dragging their feet, which is pushing other companies to go in other directions. And this is another one, which is probably one of the largest VCs out there that is opening another location to hedge their bets. Right. I mean, if you're the UK, you already mined all your coal, you cut down all your trees to make ships. Like, uh, you don't have a whole lot left. Like banking is kind of it. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, if you, the UK doesn't have much of a choice, but to pivot and kind of get into these new, uh, these new financial asset, um, uh, technology. So, uh, if I'm a 16 Z got to go where the money is. Yep. And then Doke one popped up in the news again. <laughs> so he is officially going to be in jail in Montenegro for four months nothing crypto related it is because of his passports having uh forged documents so i think he had a couple of costa rican passports and a couple of belgian passports and so he's spending four months in jail there and then we'll see what happens after that so everybody else wants to go after him for everything that's happened with Kara and luna and uh, i guess they're going to wait at least four months to get their hands on him <laughs> Yeah, you know, I, I don't think a whole lot of people that don't have any legal problems carry around fake passports. <laughs> Very true. And then, so the last thing that I had, I wanted to mention NFTs just because I, I think there's actually a really cool thing that is kicking off today. So we'll, we'll find out more about it here in the next few days. But Fortnite, which is, you could argue, one of the largest play for free gra- gaming companies out there is partnering with dot swoosh so not nike dot swoosh is nike's web3 brand and they have this thing that they're calling airphoria which is kind of a collaboration that starts today and is this huge sneaker hunt so we've talked in the past about one of the at least one of the themes that i see happening is that gaming in web3 is going to bring a lot of adoption into the crypto community and now what they're doing is one of the largest gaming companies is partnering up with one of the largest retail companies creating nfts for people to go after and and turn into something and there's a probably a lot of gaming people that are fighting this right now but that is typically what gaming people do at the beginning anyways is they fight something new and then all of a sudden it becomes normal and they kind of go from there so it's exciting to see what will turn into no idea right now but i mean you have two of the bigger names out there that are partnering and creating collaboration so that's that's cool to see 
Yeah, I mean, Fortnite is play for free, but it generates a gazillion dollars because yeah. people want their characters to wear certain clothes. So yeah, you tap into a little bit of that, figure out how to integrate NFTs, and uh, yeah, we'll, we'll see where that goes. Uh, NFTs are, I feel like they're throwing a whole bunch of stuff against the wall to see what sticks. So let's see what sticks. People still trade baseball cards, right? So there's it's true. <laughs> there's there's got to be a niche out there somewhere for it. But. Yeah, I mean, I, I, my buddy pulled a card uh and he sold at auction for like nine thousand dollars and it's a player that i'm not aware of (laughs) so yeah uh, somehow or another that stuff seems to still work (laughs) yeah and you pay a lot of attention to baseball so it's not like you don't pay any attention to (laughs) that's right awesome well i know we probably missed some other things too anything else you wanted to add on your end no, I, I think that's good. I mean, I, I think that the BlackRock ETF is 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 the news. I mean, that's that that's so much signal. Like that that organization with that much uh, horsepower is it, it, not just considering, but actually filing an ETF. It's spot Bitcoin. It's not Bitcoin futures. Uh, to me, that's that's good enough. That that's a, that's a whole podcast. Yeah. No, that's that's great news. It's exciting. Hopefully, we can buckle in and enjoy the ride from here i bought more bitcoin yesterday so <laughs> i feel like i do every day but that's okay <laughs> awesome well great talking to you Hal, and we'll chat again next week sounds good jason thanks a lot if all of these crypto conversations leave you with more questions and you're looking for answers i've created a product that dives into most of those answers including why crypto, how to set up a cold wallet, and some of the more advanced strategies for dealing with crypto. Check the link in the notes below and hope to see you there.